Let's do, Let's do it. it. Okay. Let me hit the broadcast button here. And all right. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to RSI's second digital panel. We're starting here in just a second. Want to make sure that everybody had the opportunity to get logged back in or sit back at your desk. Um, and uh, away we go. It is uh, our pleasure to do this, and, and we're joined by some great people today. My name is Dan Jacobs. I uh, am the Director of Partnerships and Acquisitions for RSI. We're totally honored to have three restaurant operators here and owners uh, from the Pacific Northwest join the RSI panel to discuss their varying experiences in opening restaurants. The purpose of today's panel is to share some insights into successful strategies, as well as challenges and considerations for opening your first, second, or even your 10th restaurant. Joining me from RSI are Michelle O'Neill and Dave Downs. They're client advisors with our team. And our client advisors, their role is to offer deeper uh, level engagements to our clients along the lines of what a COO or a CFO uh, does for many organizations. We definitely encourage you to reach out uh, to Michelle, Dave, Sydney, that team of client advisors. If you're looking to grow your business or you have a, a need for a more strategic planning in your operation today. Now for the other panelists, Attila Sabo is the owner of two different concepts uh, in the Seattle area. Currently, Attila has three Wildfin American Grill concepts locations and two Stack 571 burger restaurants. Um, Attila, if I'm not mistaken, by this time next year, your group will be uh, pretty much doubled in size and, and be at uh, around 10 locations. Uh, uh, you that's can speak correct. To, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, keep, keep so thank you again for making time out of your day uh, right now. We're also uh, uh, so honored to have Rob Coburn and Paige Crandall. Uh, you guys took over an existing restaurant, El Camino, uh, a restaurant with a lot of history. Um, and you took that over about three years ago. And then yep. uh, even more recently, about nine weeks ago, uh, you had your second child, uh, another restaurant, uh, which is yep. called Southtown Pie, um, down in the, in the South Seattle area. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Right on. Well, thank you, um, Paige, Attila, Rob, for joining us. I want to cover just a few other housekeeping items before we get started. Um, one, we will be taking questions at the end of the panel, um, but if you want to send in any thoughts, we've got people monitoring, uh, you know, lots of people. No, it's really just myself and a couple of team members here looking for the questions uh, that we can kind of queue up and make sure that this is uh, an engaging opportunity for all involved. Uh, we're also recording this, so you can reference back, uh, and, and you, we, as an attendee, you'll receive the link. Um, last but not least, if you're interested in becoming a future panelist, we welcome your feedback. We welcome your feedback uh, on other topics that you think would be valuable. Um, as RSI, our whole premise is about educating operators um, to you know, be successful and to also have a good quality of life. With that, um, I kind of hand over this session to Michelle and Dave. Uh, I'll be back towards the end to kind of help facilitate that Q&A session, wrap up with any reminders. But uh, until then, Michelle and Dave, it's all yours. Thanks, Dan. I'm so excited to have this panel and this particular topic, so much interest in it. So I'm gonna dive right into the conversation with my old friends, 
Rob and Paige. So as Dan mentioned, you guys just about nine weeks ago opened up your second location and you started this business from scratch, unlike El Camino, which you took over as an existing business. Right. What did you learn throughout this process? How, how did that look? What was different? What was different than buying El Camino? As yeah, as you guys, as you, as you came into Southtown, what did you, what lessons did you take with you? Well, everything was different. <clears throat> we probably learned more from our first restaurant, Ama Ama. Um, uh, it only lasted for a couple of years. Um, it was a very uh, fruitful learning experience. <laughs> An expensive <laughs> An learning expensive experience. One. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of, um, it's very fertile on the bottom, we found out. Um, so just having had that experience under our belt, we were much wiser going into this. Um, we had our eyes wide open uh, and just made some smarter decisions. We were more aware of the neighborhood and what kind of a concept would fit down there. Uh, and I think made some smarter choices, smarter decisions going in, just what it would look like and how it would feel in there. Yeah, I think we, we the difference with El Camino was it was a, an established restaurant there almost 20 years. And it was also a restaurant we liked going to. And actually both of us had worked there actually is where we met, but the, the, so we understood that restaurant really well. And I felt we, we knew the neighborhood really well. So it was an easy for us to go in there and go, Oh, we know what we can do to keep this thing going and keep the things that we liked about it. And then also knew of some things we thought we could change to help it. Going down to Southtown was a totally, we knew the neighborhood a little, but we spent time there, talked with the neighbors, talked with people, and we wound up, I mean, it's a pizza concept, so it's very far away from the the uh, the concept of a, a Mexican restaurant, which we toyed around with a little bit, but we were very cognizant of what the neighborhood needed and what that neighborhood needed now, not really going like projecting too much but saying can we make this concept work now not five years from now but you know with how the neighborhood has changed up to this point so and I think that's something we didn't do in our very first restaurant we were hoping things were going to change and the neighborhood never really came around at that time the economy tanked yeah. before all the things that we knew were going to come online could come online so a lot of a lot of building in the neighborhood um, came to a stop and uh just never really took off. Um, but South so, Park. No, I'm sorry, Paige, go ahead. Um, just South Park is a, definitely a neighborhood that's up and coming. We're really excited to be there. Um, but I think we just had a tighter concept. Going. But we're not betting on it changing much more. Yeah. We're, we're, we know we can make this concept work within the confines of where the neighborhood stands now. Anything that happens beyond will be better for us, but we're, we're focused on making it work with what we've got. Yeah. And with El Camino, El Camino is very kind of labor intensive. Um, you know, on a Friday or Saturday night, we, we have between the kitchen and the front of the house staff, um, 18 to 20 people working. So that's just a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of people to manage. It's a lot of labor um, to pay for in a, in a market where the cost of labor is going up. So we knew moving forward that we wanted to simplify. We wanted a much simpler concept that would involve a lot less people um, 
uh, and we could keep our food costs lower because it's, you know, pizza is pretty relatively inexpensive to make. And again, it just takes a lot less people. Yeah. Will location continue to factor in your growth strategy moving forward? Always. Especially in Seattle? For, Absolutely. Yeah. For Seattle's very neighborhood centric. Um, and, and for us, we live in the city and, um, and since we're fairly hands-on, going outside the city for us is would be harder. Um, and and right now our concepts are sort of their own thing. It's not like we're um, branching out with them. So I think we would be always looking at the neighborhood and we like the idea of neighborhood places, um, especially as more people just eat out seven days a week to be the kind of place where somebody would go once or twice a week um, works in those neighborhood kind of places. Yeah, definitely a thought going into it was we want to be an every night of the week place, not um, a special occasion place. Awesome. Attila, I'm going to bounce this next question to you. When you first opened uh, Wildfin, it was seven years ago, when you first uh, were, were kind of strategically putting that all together and, and thinking through that particular concept up again in the Pacific Northwest, what were the things that you consider, maybe the one or two things that you consider most heavily to be able to set Wildfin up for growth? You knew you were not going to have just one restaurant right out of the gate, correct? That's correct. Um, you know, in listening to Paige and Robert describe their uh, their recent experience, I, I think they hit on a lot of really key fundamentals that uh, that really don't differ whether you're planning to do one unit or, or ten. Um, but for us, knowing uh, from the very beginning that we were looking to have uh, multiple units to, to grow a brand, uh, we were we were very uh, focused on making sure that everything we did was scalable um, from our management processes and our systems and, and how we structured the business. Uh, we uh, we wanted to make sure that as we grew, uh, we could we could uh, realize some of the efficiency of that growth and and not have to do uh, do everything over every time we open the restaurant. So subsequently, as we've opened more units, uh, you know, each one gets a little bit easier and we pick up a little bit of economy of scale each time. But again, I think Paige and Robert really touched on some key fundamentals about understanding your market um, and your location, uh, understanding what your brand is and, and what product that you're, you're taking to market and what your value proposition is and how the, 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 your guest base or the consumer is going to want to use you. Um, all, all those things, I think, are interchangeable regardless of your size. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we were just, uh, in addition to that, focused on making sure that we could grow and, and do so as gracefully as possible. When you when you first set up the Wildfins, did you have at the same time? Did you have a, a now you're managing two different concepts or own two different concepts? Did you have at the same time that multi-concept uh, foundation laid as well, or was that kind of something that happened a little bit more organically? No, it happened more organically. Um, in addition to Wildfin, uh, American Grill we own and operate a concept called Stack by Burger and Whiskey Bar, which came about. Uh, uh, really, through 
through an opportunity with a landlord in one of our existing wild fins. And uh, they were looking for a burger concept to go into this particular space. Um, we were able to kind of put together a deal that was too good to turn down. And, and we had this idea in our head and uh, we put together a business plan and we ran with it. And it was one of those things where, you know, when we opened, we kind of knew on the first day that we had, uh, we kind of, uh, I hit on something that had a lot of opportunity. Um, but because we kind of built it on the same foundation that we had built Wildfin on, uh, it was really easy to ramp up fairly quickly and begin to look for additional sites. And, uh, uh, well, we have two currently open, and by this fall, we'll have two additional open. So, yeah, that's great. When we're when you're looking at growth, so I want to kind of circle back a little bit on uh, and, and Robin Page will probably ask a similar question here in just a moment too. Um, when you're when you're trying to not outgrow your staff, you're, we mentioned now you're, you have five restaurants currently open. A year from now, you'll have ten, doubling that, doubling the size of your of your footprint, so to speak, in terms of total overall restaurants. How do you outgrow or not outgrow your staff? How do you ensure that you're able to train, develop, and, and hire those managers and keep them involved in the process? Well, I think uh, I think it's a little bit of strategy. It's uh, a little bit of luck, uh, and uh, you know, in today's labor market, it's a lot of hard work. Uh, we, we've been real fortunate uh, to have uh, very low turnover uh, in our management ranks over the last seven years, and at the crew level as well, which has allowed us to develop a significant percentage of our uh, management staff in-house. Um, and we, we put a lot of time and, and resource and effort into making sure that we create these developmental opportunities for people internally. And, uh, and so, you know, I think one of the hardest things to do when you're growing is to preserve the culture of, of your, your, your organization, however large or small it is. Um, because the culture is about people, and, uh, and that's something that you can't train. It's something that you hire. And uh, so we, we always try to ensure that at least 60% of any new positions that we have are filled from within. So if we're going to open a restaurant and you know, there's there's five salaried people on the team. Uh, we want three of them to come from our existing restaurants um, because that's part of perpetuating the culture and, and it's part of creating that uh, environment that uh, where, you know, where decisions happen organically based on, on your values uh, and, and they understand just intuitively what the right thing to do is in, in a given situation. So I, I think um, always looking for people that have the capacity and the desire to go farther than the position that you're maybe currently considering them for, um, and then making sure that you invest in, in creating those opportunities so that you can grow people from within. It, I, I, I would, uh, I, I, I know for a fact we would not be able to 
have added as many units as we have. And every time we opened a restaurant, we were hiring everybody from outside the organization. I totally agree with that. When we opened uh, Southtown Pie, we were able to have um, some of our key people, one in particular, working at El Camino throughout the year to keep her busy. Um, but knowing all the while that once STV opened, she would be a manager there. And managers are the hardest thing to find, especially good ones. And so when I'm hiring, I'm always looking out for people that have that potential. Even if they don't have the experience, they just have the potential to do that, for sure. These are, these are, we have that talk all the time when we're hiring people for our restaurants and as they're progressing, trying to figure out when we talk about our growth strategy of hopefully opening one or two more places um, in the coming years, it's looking for people like, wow, could they take over here? Could they move there? It's something we're always looking at for because the management, the manager is a, the hardest part, especially right now. It's a little easy. There's two of us. We can split between the two places we have. But once we get more than that, you know, it starts getting a little harder to make sure um, as Tilla said, the, you, you keep that um, the company culture. the culture that you want to to you know project. Yeah. 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 Definitely, and you know your employers employees are your greatest resource, and we we like to employ people that um, that we enjoy being with since we work so much. <clears throat> um, yeah. We feel really lucky. Uh, we've been able to find really great people, and we have very little turnover as well. But I think part of that is because um, we appreciate our people so much, and you know, make sure they know that. For sure, Paige, and that leads to a follow-up question. A contrast between what you guys do and what Attila does is you stayed in Seattle, so. For those who are working in challenging big city markets where we were looking at a lot of potential minimum wage and labor is always a challenge, how do you address those challenges? Um, you know, you could go outside of Seattle and, and it could be cheaper and easier in some ways. But, you know, for us in this business, we still, Seattle's still where we want to be. And if we have to work um, as much as we're working, then, you know, we still need that quality of life. So Seattle, we're dug in. This is where we want to be. Um, as far as addressing um, how we're strategizing, um, our, all of our concepts going forward, El Camino is probably always going to be the more um, labor intensive of any of our concepts. Um, everything going forward is to simplify um, concepts that we don't need as many people. And the idea is you find really good people you pay them well, give them benefits, and um, just you need less of them. Are you still there? <laughs> Do we lose you? Yeah, no, I'm still here. We're all here. That, the, yeah, so the retention piece, thank you for speaking to that. Attila, maybe we could come back to you and talk about in your rapid growth mode and your previous rapid growth strategy, how do you find the right leaders what does your corporate structure look like? Is there a lot of people overseeing your management team? Uh, no, we 
we started from the very beginning with the intent of having a pretty flat organization. Um, I, uh, I, I promised people for once in a while that you know the, the day we need a corporate office is probably the day I, I should go look for someone else to do. Um, I, spent, I spent 15 years uh, of my career in a, a larger, more uh, kind of centralized, top-down uh, corporate environment. And and uh, there's there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, it's just not what I want to do at, at this stage in life. So we we try and keep as few people um, uh, between our guests and decision making. Um, and, and and so that means that the people that we do have in our restaurants uh, running things day to day. They've got to be empowered to make decisions. Um, they've got to understand what what their responsibility is and what their decision making responsibility is. And uh, and as long as they are clear on that and the results that they're expected to deliver, um, I, I think people thrive in um, uh, You know my. Uh, my greatest fear is every time somebody suggests that we need a policy for something, I don't want a policy. Um, I just want to make sure we, we do the right thing. And um, so our, uh, I, I think Paige also hit on a key point, and that is, uh, is if, you, if you hire the right talent, then then you can teach the rest. You know, as hard as our business is, it's not rocket science. And there's nothing that we do that we can't teach or train, except we can't teach somebody to be a nice person. And if, if, if people don't find uh, inherent satisfaction in serving others, uh, I want them to go work for somebody else. Because um, that's really at the heart of what makes people successful in our business. And and that's what we look for. You both kind of touched base on that, and that was kind of interesting. Our very first, the first RSI digital panel that we did back in in May was really heavily focused on the modern day restaurant manager, that importance of finding and, and developing that good leader, and what their role looks like. Uh, Attila, I want to kind of shift gears just a little bit here. In terms of advice, if if somebody were looking to open up their very first restaurant, um, I know there's a, a number of different places to maybe start from or to approach it. From from your experience, all of your experience opening restaurants in, in your in your past and, and ongoing, what would be kind of one of those one pieces of indispensable advice you would offer or ask somebody to to have uh, or want to arm somebody with so that they they open it as successfully as possible or at least give themselves a, as big of a fighting chance? Well, I I, I got to make a couple comments there. I, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think first, um, uh, make sure that you've taken the time and the effort to put together a really sound business plan um, that um, that anticipates not everything going right, but a lot of things going wrong. What What are you going to do if the sales that you've dreamt about aren't there, or uh, the the, uh, the facility costs more to build than you anticipate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, having a really sound business plan and then 
having the discipline to follow it, I, I think is a uh, or or the absence of that is a mistake that a lot of people make. And and uh, and and if they had had that, they probably had a really good chance of being successful. And and then I think the second the second thing that I I have seen um, uh, happen time and time again, not just to individuals but to, to larger organizations, is um, no matter <clears throat> no matter how good you think you or your concept is, it's really really hard to overcome a bad location, and and uh, being disciplined to to uh, find the right locations uh, is, uh, it, it just makes everything else so much easier, I, I guess, ultimately in the end. But if you're fighting uphill, trying to overcome a bad location, um, you're, uh, you're, you're kind of hamstrung from the start. So I think those two things to me, regardless of what business you're, you're getting into, restaurants or otherwise, uh, are pretty important. Yeah, I would second that. Oh, he's not, oh, we lost something here. Sorry, Rob, I, I was actually muted. <laughs> Rob Page, that's a perfect segue. You just opened a new restaurant nine weeks ago. Um, talk about that location. And did you have a concept already in mind? How did that, how did that happen? When did you take over the space? How did you know that it was right when you walked into the space? We actually have, you know, a few different concepts in mind that we would like to get to, and unfortunately, none of them fit that space. Um, we that space, um, the opportunity to go in there, um, uh, just kind of presented itself to us. Yeah. We were offered the space, and we just thought the location was great, and we got really excited to do something in there. And we looked around the neighborhood. Um, to see what people were interested in, what did the neighborhood need, and that's where you know the concept. That's when our concept for pizza was born, because um, the neighborhood was asking for it. Uh, but I would say, um, <clears throat> you know, you know, speaking to what Attila just said, I totally agree. You need to go in with a, a tight concept, whatever it's going to be. Um, you need to make sure it's going to fit that location. Um, and make sure your location is well chosen. So that location was great. And that's such a big part of the battle, I think. Um, you know, and then of course you gotta be able to adapt to the feedback to, that you get to pe get from people once you're open and, you know, make some tweaks here and there. Um, but that location and that concept. Um, yeah. I, th I think about? opening a restaurant, and, and this is for us, we, we are going after sort of smaller one-offs that maybe at some point the idea of, of doing more of that one concept would be intriguing, but it's not how we're going into these necessarily. Um, so for us, it's that whole you, of understanding what you're getting into. Um, and that is we like the restaurant industry. We like working with the people. Um, we've been in the industry a lot. We like the people that work there and we like our customers. And we like meeting those people. We like doing it. So you've got to go into it knowing what you're getting into. And um, I think the biggest thing is I've, I've met some people who open restaurants who think it's a nice idea, but haven't necessarily worked a lot in them. And, and it's just that thing of understanding 
as the owner, you need to understand every part of that job. You know, I was on the roof today, putting, fixing something on the roof before this meeting, because especially with a small concept, the more you can understand and do, the better off you're going to be as you grow and as you can sort of hand things off. But uh, really understanding what you're getting into is the other the other thing I would say. And that goes with the business plan, you know, of, of, of really looking at what losses could be if you don't hit those numbers and, and what that means to staffing and what that means to your life and how you're going to spend it or not spend it or enjoy it. <clears throat> I have a quick follow-up on that, Robin Page. With El Camino, it was a different situation because it was an existing business. What kind of research did you do to ensure that you would go into the business and be able to stay true to the concept that was about its 20-year restaurant, but also be able to put your footprint, your fingerprints on the business? We drank at the bar a lot. (laughs) We did. We actually, we used to go there a lot. And so having worked there, we knew the people, uh, we know the neighborhood. So there were lots of things we knew they were doing right. There were lots of things we could see that were um, not going the way probably they could have or should have in our eyes. So we, we, we sort of knew of areas we could pick right away and, and, and sort of help turn things around. Yeah, we went in there, we, we'd sit and have a drink or, and have dinner, whatever, and just daydream. Oh, if we had this place, <laughs> I would do this, I would do that. Never, ever in a million years did we think we would actually get the space, and we did. And so going in, we just knew simple fixes. Um, just we started doing inventory, and we started looking at systems and um, just being more efficient and how we bought and what we bought and when we bought, um, just really looking at the, the cost of things and um, just, wow, it, it was, it, it made a really big difference, a very immediate and big difference. But, but going into it, we had to look at the numbers, look at the rent, look at what was going on because we were taking on, you know, a lease and that, that kind of stuff. So as much as we wanted to do it, there is that time where you sort of pull back and go, okay, hold on, as much as we'd love it, does it really make sense? Can we really do this? So um, there was a little bit of time where you get nervous and go, well, it was a nice idea, but but can we? So Restaurants exist. I mean, you guys are in business. You're there to, in some way, recoup some sort of investment. Until I'm going to ask this question to you first, and we'll kind of kind of see where this discussion goes a little bit. When it comes down to cash, what what kind of return on investment are you looking for? Uh, what kind of uh, what kind of uh, expectations do you have to recoup the money that you're putting into the business, Attila? Well, I think uh, I think. That question uh, depends a lot on your individual circumstances and how you're financed and, and what what you're having to pay for the money. Uh, but for us, um, what we what we look for and expect is a three-year cash on cash return. So, you know, if if we spend a million dollars to open a place um, at the end of three years, I would look for us to you know, recoup the million dollars in, in uh, cash contribution. So um, sometimes it happens a little faster. Sometimes it takes a little longer, but on average, uh, that's what we try and achieve. 
Robin Page, do you have similar expectations? Do you have you have you mapped that out in terms of what you're trying to recoup out of each of your businesses too? Yeah, and it was it was about three. It's about three years is is the way we look at it. Um, and with El Camino, it's a little quicker. Yeah. And then uh, with this one, we're nine weeks in. We're hitting the numbers we expected to hit. So you know that one could could be a little quicker too, actually. So yeah. so far so good. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. But it, but three. Yeah, three is as far as you sort of, I, I put our business plan out as, as as if, even if things weren't going that great, hopefully after three, we'd, we'd still be caught up. Yeah, I think the national average, if I'm not mistaken, is right around um, a 5% uh, return. Um, what do you mean? I mean, a profit margin, like a 5%, 5% profit. profit margin for the average restaurant. So, and that's if you're hitting your numbers. Um, Alcaminan's doing better than that. And we're, you know, we plan to do better than that at STP as well, but we just don't have any delusions that, you know, um, they're not get rich quick. <laughs> <laughs> Restaurants are not a get rich quick um, kind of thing. Yeah. So there are a lot of work for the return that you get. You gotta love doing it. Yeah, It's definitely sort of a lifestyle thing. Yeah. For us. So we are getting some really good Q&A audience questions. I want to segue and make sure that everybody gets their questions answered as much as we can. Um, and I will start with you, Robin Page, on this first question, and then we'll go over to Attila. Uh, mm -hmm. The question comes from Steve, and it's, how much cash runway should I allow myself when opening? Enough to cover operating costs the first three months for the first six months? Oh, for Lila. The more, the better. The more, the better. Yeah, because uh, it's... You never have enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just always hard because, you know, I come from a, a architecture background. I have an architecture degree, so I've done a lot of building projects and stuff. Products, projects are always over. You're, you're, I've never done a project where it didn't go over a build out of a space. And maybe it's not a lot, maybe it's 10% or 20. So it seems like when you're, doing these things you're already starting a little behind where you thought you were and then those first couple of months you think you're going you get cash coming in but then you know those end of the month taxes come in as payroll does and Brent and all the things where you look at your bank account you've got x amount in it and then all of a sudden it just takes you know three days to totally sap it and then you still need to pay you know in, in Seattle you know in Seattle we have to pay cash for our liquor every you know if we want so so it's just it's just all these things which until you go through a couple of months and understand your cash flow it, I, I would say six months as a minimum you'd want uh, ideally to be able to pay enough to pay your rent pay your your bills and pay your staff and there's going to be so many unexpected things that'll just pop up so yeah. for somebody who hasn't had a restaurant before the equipment goes out, uh, you know, if you're, are you buying all new equipment, you're buying used equipment, then how much is that used equipment going to not make it for a month and a half or. Yeah. So. Attila, kind of over to you, since, since you have some pretty uh, detailed systems in terms of projecting out cash and, and kind of really understand where that labor percentage is approximately going to shake out, uh, understand what those cost of goods will approximately be, uh, what would you make as a recommendation for how much cash to have on hand when you're just getting open for that first, that first month or first, uh, first week? 
Well, as much as possible is uh, is generally good. Um, we're uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm trying to think back to when we opened seven years ago, uh, and you know, coming from a corporate environment, I got a really uh, uh, quick and and uh, intense education on cash flow. Um, I think it's something that a lot of people get into business. They, they they sometimes get profitability and cash flow confused, and they're really two different things. Um, and coming from a corporate environment, we had a CFO that always worried about that, and it was it wasn't something that an operations guy really had to ever worry about. Um, when uh, when we open a restaurant now, um, I generally would when from the day we open, I generally like to have about a two week worth of sales buffer in terms of uh, working capital. Um, and and for us in our business model, that, that seems to work uh, pretty close. But if you're starting out with kind of a, a, a new concept in a new restaurant, uh, I would say anything less than a couple of months, and you probably are going to find yourself in some pretty tight predicaments at various points. Especially if you if your sales are not uh, where you uh, yeah. So there's actually a follow up from our audience on the same one. Until I'm going to stay with you for this question, I think it's a very good question. If there's something you actually could have spent more money on during your build out or during the pre opening process at any location, what would that be? And also, is there anything that you went way over budget, way over spent on? Well, uh, yeah, our first unit we we spent way too much to build, um, and and since then we have uh, understood the implication of that and been a lot more disciplined and and found ways to kind of get the same results, spending a lot less money. Um, and I think uh, I think you kind of fall victim to that. Uh, that idea that gosh that'd be really really cool or it'd be really fun to have that and and not assessing uh, what that's going to do in terms of your ability to execute and or deliver uh, your concept from a sales standpoint um, kind of always having that idea in the back of your mind that for every dollar you spend you've got to generate sales uh, to pay for it um if if i would if i could if i could spend more money in any given opening i would spend it on training uh you really can't train enough in preparation for opening rob i'm going to kick this question over to you and your kind of architectural background you mentioned that projects tend to overrun somewhere between 10 and 15 up to 20 percent frequently or almost always uh knowing that or having known that when you were building out your restaurant did you plan for that did you already have that kind of in mind that there was going to be some overruns and if so we knew that they should go to this silo of of expenses it's hard because we went into an old building that we tore walls down and then realized either there's something there that is great or something there that isn't great. So um, we probably aren't as well prepared for some of the things. I, I think it comes down to if you're putting money in 
Attila sort of brought up, are you putting money into things that are actually going to make you money? Um, and doing some, you know, we did some things like making sure beer lines, you know, got to the back of the bar where we wanted them because we have a very specific reason. But I mean, doing things that make make it work for our people to be able to do their jobs better, not just the, the space looking. So the layout. So really working on the layout, understanding Efficiency. efficiencies, understanding footfalls and how long people go from one thing to the other, or if they have to travel halfway across a restaurant into a back room to, to get something, who's out in the bar or the restaurant when they're gone, you know? So understanding things like that are probably the things I, I, I like to spend a lot of time on because ultimately we're there to serve people and give them a good experience. And if, uh, and you sometimes can design things that look great, but realize in the end, don't give, don't function well from that personnel standpoint. Mm -hmm. And you did all that research while sitting there at the bar drinking? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I, do good, yeah. I do it at every bar I drink at. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm going to shift gears a little bit because there's another question that came in. Attila, I think there was some buzz around your statement about not putting too many people between the decision maker and the guest. Yeah, that's a great, so, that's a great comment. Yeah, I do. it's a big, big statement. And the question that came out of it, uh, I believe, is uh, do you outsource that? What does your outsourcing look like? Finances, admin, HR specifically. Well, I outside, or we we try and stick to our core business, and that's running restaurants. Um, so anything that isn't about restaurant operations, if I can outsource it, I will. Um, and that's part of the key of not having to uh, add uh, uh, overhead in in positions that aren't specific to running a restaurant. So um, RSI was a great example of that for us. Uh, you know, I, I came from a, a background where we had a corporate accounting department and payroll was internal and AP was internal and there was an HR department and the benefits department. And, uh, uh, and as <laughs> you know, each restaurant had a bookkeeper. And when I decided to go out on my own, you know, I recognized that number one, that model was was antiquated, and technology is primarily what's allowed people to move beyond that. Um, but that's ultimately what led me to RSI, and and from my experience there, I've just looked for other ways and other other uh, uh, elements of the business to continue doing that. So we have. Uh, we have an outside company that manages all of our um, benefits compliance for uh, the Affordable Care Act. Um, uh, I don't have an internal marketing person. I have somebody uh, external that does that. And, you know, at the end of the day, we kind of look at the cost uh, implications of doing that. It's really easy to kind of talk yourself into the idea that you can bring it in house and do it for less money. Um, but what, what I think people a lot of times forget is uh, the value of your time. If I bring all those things in house and I create this 
uh, organization that does all of those things internally. Somebody has to manage that. Somebody has to staff it. Somebody has to oversee it and supervise it. And, and ultimately, that becomes myself or one of my partners. And that's time away from our core business of running restaurants. So um, I'm a big fan of outsourcing anything that's outside of your core business. Robin Page, kind of a similar question to you too then. What what ways do you try and maximize your efficiency so that you're really in the restaurants as much as possible, training, coaching, developing, leading your team? What what ways do you find other efficiencies or other uh, companies to pair with uh, to make that happen? Well, <clears throat> RSI is great for us because we don't want to be in the office. Um, uh, and it's been a great resource, especially uh, we actually used RSI at our first restaurant because um, it, it, it had been referred to us and it sounded like a good idea and having, you know, doing our first restaurant, um, it was great because not only is RSI taking on so many different um, functions, but it's also a resource. So every time we had a question um, about how we should be doing something, how, you know, RSI was a phone call away. And we are both um, kind of unorganized in the you know paperwork department. So RSI, the weekly setup really works for us because it forces us to stay on top of everything, getting our stuff in in a timely way. And that's huge. We did when we took over El Camino, we tried to um, you know have an accountant and a bookkeeper and all these different and a different payroll company. and uh, it was just, easier to kind of um let that go because again it was all different resources that had to be managed that had to be you know going to find them and then you had to stay on top of them and so it, it was it, it was a big lifesaver for us for sure but yeah otherwise we wouldn't be we'd be spending more time in the office dealing with dealing with the taxes and making sure you're doing all the taxes and the payroll and doing all that. So, and is it being done right? right. And yeah. So. Yeah. So that's a big one. That, and I think that's the biggest thing. All the other items, the only other big thing would be facilities kind of things that if something big goes, we just right away, right now, just call somebody right away as opposed to, well, maybe we can work on it. Maybe we can deal with this at this point. It's not worth, that kind of thing. So we get people in that can get stuff done that know what they're doing. Yeah. So we can be on the floor more and talking with our guests and our, and our clients or, and our staff, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> From Michelle and I both, thank you guys so much for your time. We're going to start wrapping up a little bit here. Dan Jacobs is going to take back over and, and kind of, uh, circle back and recap on everything we discussed. Attila, Rob, and Paige, thank you so much for your time. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, great. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. I, once again, the voice behind the logo here. Um, Rob, Paige, Attila, Michelle, appreciate all the time. And the uh, and really, the, the I mean, there were great nuggets of, of gold here in terms of experience shared, um, and, and opportunities for you know future restaurant operators getting into the business to really kind of learn uh, from from this feedback and that's what like I said we strive for here at RSI. Um, a few takeaways for everyone you know again 
preserving culture, you know, through your organization is is paramount to success. Um, having enough cash in the bank, yeah, it's probably the hardest struggle, and yet uh, equally as important uh, to make sure you can withstand, um, you know, the the bumps that come along with opening a restaurant. Um, outsourcing systems where appropriate, you know, that's that's certainly a great opportunity. And then I think uh, the reason for that is not just to make a shameless plug for RSI, but to really talk about what Attila said, which was keeping the distance between decision makers and your guests as, as limited as possible, right? By really empowering the people at the store, you can enhance the guest experience. Therefore, uh, all the other pieces start to work. Um, and, and that's just awesome stuff. And, and uh, if you've never, everybody asks me, uh, I'm a former Seattle native. Um, I'm often asked where to go. I can tell you firsthand, uh, El Camino is an intimate experience for a, a wonderful cocktail and a great evening out. And it's a great way to experience um, Seattle within the inner city, uh, Fremont. And, and I haven't made it to South Sound yet. It looks like uh, I'm nine weeks too late. I'll, I'll make it over there, guys. Thank you so much. And then flip side, another one of my personal faves, uh, check out uh, Wildfin or Stackburger. I've been to both down in Ruston Way. Um, Attila's got a, quite a few other locations, but Ruston Way was my personal favorite just because I used to live down there and run the waterfront and all that good stuff. So um, there's my plugs for our panelists today. You need to get out to Seattle this time of year. Summer's about over. So uh, it's been an epic season. Now I'm teasing, guys. No. Go Mariners. Go Hawks. And um, thank you again for all your time. I know there's a lot of contention on this. Uh, over sports, but I got to get my, get my jabs in for us Seattle fans when <laughs> I can. Have a great afternoon, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Thanks. Thank Bye -bye. you guys. Bye.